This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, this is Kurt from the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast. Today is not your normal episode, it's a 1 through 20 best of. Uh, We're planning on doing this every 10 or 20 episodes. So if you missed an episode, you can probably catch up here. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. You're listening to the Working Class Bow Hunter. That's right. This is the podcast for Billy Joe Lunchbucket, the working man, just like me and you. My name's Travis T. Bone Turner from the Bone Collector. Thank you for tuning in. Hi, I'm Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors, and I love Working Class Bow Hunter podcast. Hey, this is Melissa Bachman. You're listening to Working Class Bow Hunter. Somehow I got picked to be on the sweaty back episode. Not sure how I got that, but. Stay tuned and listen to them every week. Hey guys, this is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Tune in to the Working Class Bowhunter podcast. It's really, really not that good. This is the Working Class Bowhunter podcast. Enjoy. Episode 11. Um, We do have... I have an article here from the Outdoor Wire, and it has... Oh, I was going to make a Pocahontas reference. Yeah, we don't want to hear about Pocahontas. <laughs> Remember that talking tree? Um, <laughs> the fun, the way funds uh, distributed by state by the voluntary taxes paid on hunting and fishing gear by outdoorsmen. Um, this is by, like, the you know, state and territories. Illinois has... 23, I can't even, $23,783,360. million, um, Iowa, $16,502,000. million, What's the highest much, state on there? Wait, uh, how much? Iowa's only $16 million? Yeah. Okay, so re, re, explain that to me again. This is how much? This is um, voluntary taxes paid on hunting and fishing gear by outdoorsmen. Um the United States Fish and Wildlife Service announced it was going to distribute $1.1 billion in revenues generated by the hunting and angling industries to state and territorial wildlife services across the nation. I think I spent uh, at least $13 million last year. So it's who needs the money more. That's why Iowa doesn't need as much. Well, this is 
How much they're getting or how much they're... I think this is how, how much, much each state is bringing in from oh. equipment, licenses, um, tags, all, and stuff like that. Gotcha. Look, at, look at Alaska. That's amazing. So, yeah, $25 million, uh, Wow, man, I'm, I can't even read numbers. $25 million. That's amazing. Dude, look at the District of Columbia. $1 million. <laughs> <laughs> but think about this. Okay, anti-hunters want to... I just... Guam? Just, Hold on, Guam's on there? <laughs> Guam, two million. What are you hunting? Guam. <laughs> Fishing and stuff like that. Um, who has the least? Puerto Rico, seven million? Um, yeah, um, let's see here. And this is pretty crazy. I think I've seen two million or one million on there. Yeah, the Virgin, Virgin Islands. Islands. Too much. Hey, Logan, isn't that where you're? Pennsylvania, 37 yeah. yep. million. Yeah, Alaska? Pennsylvania's got some big deer, apparently. Alaska was like $51 million. No, Alaska What are the was... Marina Islands? What is that? Yeah, yeah Alaska's right $51,951,630. Wow. I can't even see that from back here. It's amazing. It's a lot of money. Um, let's go to some more Midwest states. Uh, Indiana, $18 million. Um, Kansas, $19 million. Kentucky, $19 million. Um, Michigan, thirty-seven. Minnesota, 37. Minnesota. Missouri, 29. Nebraska, 17. Man, Nevada. That, yeah, where's, where's Nevada? Oh, 19 right million. You know, that, you so, know it's kind of weird. I see a lot of people who hunt in New Jersey. I mean, just see them <laughs> on – maybe I'm only seeing the only five people that hunt because they're only bringing in 11 mil. Well, I mean, maybe it's smaller and, you know, more urban, but – I don't know, they're too busy getting like spray tans and hanging out and watching the Jersey Shore. <laughs> uh, dude, nope. G- GTL man, <laughs> gym tan laundry. Is that your schedule? Yeah. Did you ever Is watch it? it? Did you ever watch Jersey Shore? No. Oh, no. I did. We have lives. Oh, I uh, Illinois just sent out um, this week how many turkeys were shot this spring. Yeah, what was it, like? It 14, was like fourteen thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Just one shy of fifteen thousand. Really? Year. Yeah. See, Kurt, thank you, Kurt. Yeah, 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 thanks, Kurt. I could have been fifteen. You could have been fifteen thousand. <laughs> you could have been that guy, but, but you're not. I was like, <laughs> when I seen that, I was like, wow. I thought that was a high number, but I don't know. I would, I wouldn't know. I guess it depends on how many turkeys are in the state of Illinois. I guess. I guess don't let the turkeys find out because I don't want the turkey uprising to happen. <laughs> yeah, they'll start stomping on the American flag. Oh, Nobody God. wants that. Oh boy, we ain't going there. <laughs> Episode 12, Austin Fielder. Um, basically, this the article is on bowhunting.com. The 2014 Missouri albino buck, um, they did a full body mount on it. Um, really, I don't know what states it's legal or illegal to shoot albino deer in, but let's just, let's, okay, let's assume it's legal. Okay, in where Iowa. we're from now, Iowa is illegal. So is Illinois. So is Illinois. And I'm assuming Wisconsin and Michigan, right? I, I have no idea. We would know. Um, it seems like there's a lot of albino deer pop up in Wisconsin. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of pictures of the piebald and albinos yeah. up there. So I don't know what the deal is. Um, Let me read this, skim through this real quick. Uh, where is this guy from that shot this? Awkward pause. Missouri. I said that already. Missouri bow hunter Jerry Kinman. Kinnaman. As the most interesting, controversial one. uh, May have snagged the title of the most interesting and controversial. 
Seven-year-old albino buck that set media outlets across the country ablaze with comments ranging from congratulatory to threat. Well, imagine See, that. Was, oh, ima- yeah, imagine that. <laughs> with seven years old, though, you most albinos, they say, don't live that well, long because they're white. They're white. They're more seen. Whoa, guys. <laughs> Jeez. I let it slide when you guys were talking about black bears, but now. Oh. It's because he's white, isn't it? Yeah. All of a sudden, you got people stomping on the American flag. <laughs> oh, God. What's going go. on, ain't guys? Going there <laughs> you shot that white deer? No, they'd probably be cheering it. Yeah, they See, probably I, would. I never heard about this guy shooting that deer, but, man. It's there a big was, buck. There was a few months ago when that kid shot. Shot that one uh, last year or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He that one a lot to me, stuff about it. yeah, that one to me was a little bit. I mean, more controversial than this one was. That one blew up. They were ripping that kid yeah. apart. Where's that kid from? Do you remember? I don't. I, I want to say New York or something, Maryland out, or something. Yeah, like that. Out, yeah. Pennsylvania, out something that way like that. somewhere. I think you can shoot deer in uh, white deer in New York. Obviously, let me look that up real quick. I'd probably be able to pull it up. Um, but what, what's your take? Do you think okay in Illinois it's legal? Would, would I mean I would shoot one. I'd shoot one. If it was legal. It's a genetic oh, defect, yeah. so by all means, yeah, I agree. get him out of the gene pool. I mean, obviously at mm. seven years old, I mean, you know, there's there's some theory behind, hey, he's seven years old, he's lived seven years, you know. Yeah, he's that's that's typically life. how old you are when you've lived for seven years is seven, right? <laughs> yeah. I think he shot it with a cross. This, this kid right here, boyish, who shot albino deer with crossbow, receives death threats. Uh, yeah, this is it. This is yep, the one. that's it. Um, where is he from? He's 11 years old. He's from Michigan. Oh, there you, um, there you go. Gavin Dingman off. is 11 years old. Earlier this week, the Michigan boy went hunting with his dad. During the trip, he took down a 12-point albino buck with his crossbow. Um, okay, obviously, they're giving him death threats, which, uh, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's cool yeah, to threaten a child's life. You make fun of kids anyway, so. Yeah, but I never threatened. Well, okay, there was one time, but this kid was really ugly. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, no, that that kid didn't deserve that. I mean, I, it, to me, is that's a whether once- it's albino or or reg- I mean, why does it matter? Right, it's a once in a lifetime chance. I mean, that kid will never forget that. Yeah, you shoot life. an albino deer. Yeah, I would mount that too. I would like. Oh, I would yeah. make sure everybody saw I'd that. Not put like, in the front window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, here let me let me say this. This is gonna get everyone fired up. There was one comment that someone should shoot the kid with an arrow and other things along those lines. There were a lot of ignorant people blaming and scolding the parents for letting their child hunt, or as they put it, murdering things. So are the okay. people, are the people just that are giving the death threat death threats are they just the PETA you know No, they're just liberals. Episode thirteen, Hammer and Tang. All right, well, I know this is a bow hunting podcast, but Tank, let's talk about your really one of the birthday presents you caught last week here in Shirard. Shirard. Did, did I just give away your fishing location? No, because it is a private lake, and if oh. I catch you out there, I will deal with you. All right, all right. <laughs> all right, that means uh, he's going to catch us in two places that we shouldn't be. What went down, and tell us where you're taking it, if that's still going to happen. I am going to take it to Mark. Well, talk about the story first, oh, what went down. But yeah. Good job thinking of the right guy. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. I know him by his first name. But uh, So we were fishing uh, out in Sheerard. That's right. Fire Lake. Uh we were just finishing up, pulling up to the boat ramp, 
And my buddy freaks out. He's, oh, my gosh, you got to look at this. Look at this. Look at this. I'm like, what, what? I'm still fishing. End up catching a little bass. And uh, I under the dock, there's this huge muskie. So I'm fighting this fish in, fighting, fighting. And the bass goes up towards the dock. The muskie just freaks out, nails the bass. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the lure pops out of the bass's mouth, hits the muskie in the corner of the mouth. And then I catch this 38-inch, 15-pound muskie. Really? Yeah. And fire lake. Oh, so what yeah. are the chances of that happening again the way it did? Actually, really good. Really? Uh, the weekend before, Steve Owen, now you have to listen to it, did this podcast. We could have him in one of these days. Does he hunt yeah. it up, bull hunt? Hey, he does a bull hunt. He's dude, I don't, too many Steves in the kitchen are going to ruin the <laughs> stew. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. No. But Steve Owen, I, uh, I kind of messed him up. But he Aren't you guys on like a fishing team or something like that, or a tournament team? We're or something trying like to figure it out. We're working through team names. It's we, in the works. It's in yeah, the works. We might have something on YouTube here pretty soon. But uh, right. we can have you back on to talk about that whole oh, business. Tank. Yeah. There you go. This... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was the weekend before he caught a crappie, and we had a uh, muskie. It's pretty common. They'll trail your boat and uh, just kind of hang out by your boat. And he was fighting this crappie. And why? Uh, just cover they oh, see okay. the cuz they've got cover. nothing better to do yeah, they don't I mean, have iPhones yet <laughs> that's why <laughs> oh dude you going to follow that boat yeah man. Well, I, I didn't mean to cut you off but i i didn't know i didn't know if that's because they know you're catching it, fish they can eat yeah it could be i mean he might have known he associated boats with catching fish and he knows it's an easy meal yeah. oh my but, god they're learning oh yeah well, <laughs> animals do that oh god <laughs> you'll have that don't teach them how to use tools <laughs> that'll be the musky uprising uh-huh. yeah. no but he's fighting this crappie and no same thing you think no i think no ignore him and continue to i know I'm oh my god I'm so kurt kurt let me, what tell, up? You, let me tell you the story ignore this guy ah. here. what goes around <laughs> so he's fighting this crappie in and muskie sees it freaks out same way nails this crappie except i messed up the netting and the fish got away and snapped his line that is all on me. Oh, and yes. Uh, who cares but, about him? Well, I do because <laughs> he netted. He netted my thirty-eight uh, inch muskie. Oh, so, so he had a yes. chance. All right, this yes. is a good guy because he really yeah. could have. He's Actually, a good guy. I've met him a few times. Yeah. He's, he would be fun to have in on the podcast. Well, his name's uh, Steve, yeah. so you got to figure. <laughs> When's the last time you met a guy named Steve? Go watch like any lockup on MSNBC or whatever. You never see any prisoners named Steve. <laughs> I don't know. I had a neighbor named Steve. He was kind of weird. His name was Steve with like an H somehow, <laughs> but not PH. <laughs> All right, so the muskie gets hooked on after yep. you're trying to do this whole bass deal. And yep, yep, yep. So then what happens? Uh, Is it, was it just cakewalk after that? Or Oh, no, 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 no. It, with muskie fishing, there's no cakewalk. Uh, oh. So Steve, <laughs> Steve does an awesome netting job. Which, mid-fight of this fish, I beg him. I'm like, please do not get revenge on me right now. So this whole time, are you worried <laughs> this thing's just going to yes. get off and oh, yeah. your dreams was, are shattered and you're going to yeah, cry your way Yeah, home. For you fishing guys, I was using 15-pound uh, fluorocarbon, which, if anybody knows, muskie have teeth and fluorocarbon snaps on teeth. So this was kind of a hectic situation. So why situation. weren't you prepared is what I want to know. Because I was bass fishing. Mm, okay, okay. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you come prepared to catch an orca and you leave home with a crappie. 
That's what my grandfather always told me. <sighs> See, I like I that. Didn't, my grandfather wasn't like that. Uh, mine wasn't either. I just made that story up. <laughs> Did you really make that? <laughs> yeah. Theater of the mind. <laughs> Theater of the mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, okay. No. So he gets he gets the muskie in the net. Everything's good. He pulls it up onto the uh, the boat. The muskie busts through the bottom of the net, falls into the boat. Whoa. So I have to do this bear hug on this muskie trying to keep it in the boat. How cool would it be if you out. got a really awesome scar from that fish? You know, it it would be pretty freaking awesome. Maybe I'll have uh, Mark leave a scar on me somehow with this fish. <laughs> Smack you with it. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, you can get like his teeth marks. Yeah, like, oh yeah. What like, was tattooed on you? <laughs> what was your reaction to this? Total disbelief. It is one of those things. It's like right after you shoot a big buck, there's just like nothing going through your mind. Your mind's just kind of blank. Like, I just did this. Like it actually. I cannot believe your this dreams came true. Yeah. Your outdoor dream came true. I feel every time I make it up a flight of stairs without passing out. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So this fit 38 inches and mm. 15 pounds? Yep. Which the guys that musky fish, they'll say, oh, that's, that's a nice musky. It's not huge. Yeah. But, I mean, for me, just well, the, the situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so, why I want to get it mounted. So uh, in, in that lake, what have you heard is, like, what's the biggest musky you've heard of getting? In that lake? Yeah. I've heard rumors of. 60 inch fish really for a muskie a 60 inch fish is huge okay now, I mean, this, for you muskie oh, guys this is a private lake everything is doctored in this lake so this isn't like some they public watch you like a hawk oh really yeah. Oh, yeah so it's not like this is some just so everyone lake. knows that this is the other side of sherrard yeah. I, <laughs> I live in the hood of sherrard <laughs> i live in the hillbilly side of sherrard episode 14 anthony fry over and it's winding down i've got a i've only got like a three month period you know to really try to catch up and you know and at the same time i'm doing preseason filming you know hanging sets you know doing you know my bit for this coming season yeah you know what i mean so it's hard for me to, to get ahead it's a never-ending job and i want people to understand if you're getting into this you've got to really want this because it, it, it's literally going to control your life you got to dedicate yourself for sure so I mean, it, it, you know, I'm going into work at 4:30 in the morning, you know, rushing to get in the door, but at the same time, I'm pulling all the audio files, you know, to, for you know, film. Yeah, yeah. So, no. I had a question for you, but I just went blank with it by trying to think of it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, that's the best kind of question, yeah, now, isn't it? Hey, uh, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with this. Um, oh. What I was going to ask you about, your DVD, um, do you have a deadline for that? Is, is there a name? Can you give us any insight right now where people can for look the DVD, for it? For the DVD, pretty much, pretty much, man, when, when I get it the way that I want it, you know, when I edit, you know, something that I like today, you know, I, like, you know, you guys know, you'll watch it, you know, a million times before you kind of release it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I like, you know, to settle on it, you know, because I've, I've edited stuff in the past and I've uploaded it and been like, man, what was I thinking? You know what I mean? <laughs> so now I've gotten my mind set, you know, only, you know, time to really, I want it to be where if someone watched it, there's nothing that that person could find that they would change. Gotcha. So, you know what I mean? Episode 15, Judd Scheffler, Whitetail Adrenaline. No, okay. I mean, the thing about it is, is it's, like I, like I was saying, it's, it's actually a simpler weapon once you get it kind of down. You know what I mean? There's yeah. Like, I mean, I've had things go wrong when shooting my compound setups. You know, not too often out in the field. It doesn't happen very often. But, you know, everything from 
you know, a mechanical blade popping off and I have a giant buck walking in and now I, he goes through my gap, well, I'd never be shooting a mechanical head on a lawn pole. I mean, that's kind of a thing there where I could make a choice to shoot a fixed blade on a compound as well. But, you know, I've I've seen, you know, not with myself, but you know, all the deer that I mess with a compound, I'm pretty sure the bow is hitting where it was supposed to. I just I just blew the shot. But but I you know, I was with yeah. a buddy one time and and uh, you know, his bow he hit a deer high and it, we shot that bow and it shot 10, 12 inches high. Something moved. I don't know if this peep got caught in a little piece of brush. Mm-hmm. That didn't really make sense because that's a lot of pressure to be able to, like, move that. Uh, somehow that bow ended up being 10, 12 inches high. You know, things like that that, you know, well, with my stick and string, you know, it's basically up to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. if I blow the shot, if the, sh- if the arrow doesn't go where, it, where it's supposed to, you can't blow, there's you can't probably blow your, not. Your bow. Yeah, there's not not a whole lot I can blame it on. Well, know? you know when you were saying, you so. know, if you're on a five and a half year old and you're at whatever fifteen yards and you did the stock on them, but actually, a lot of people wouldn't think. But what you said is kind of eye opening. It's like, well, you know, that does make a lot more sense because with the compound, you draw, you anchor, you, you settle hold. your pin, you're holding for a minute. Then I don't know, you might try and stop him if he's moving, and then you release the arrow, and then he ducks your arrow or whatever with that you're right. saying you just pull back and shoot in one really one fluid motion and that's so the deer's really only seeing that motion you know not the if, motion if it, if it, right if it sees it at all i mean and that's how i shoot the, the cool thing about a longbow especially a longbow is you can kind of develop your own style and own rhythm to shooting you know you, you, you go back hundreds of years and all these different cultures and all these different you know, areas of the world, they they almost all shot a little bit differently. You know, mm-hmm. some would draw and hold, some would draw past, you know, at, some would anchor. I shoot a lot of times with a floating anchor point. You know, a lot of people might not think that's a good way to do it, but in a hunting situation, you know, kind of... So I don't really have a true set of an anchor point, yeah. um, which, you know, could come in handy in, in a hunting situation. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, essentially, I can draw back and and shoot, and the arrows from the time I start drawing to the time it probably hits the deer at 15 yards is, I mean, it's, it's probably around a second. Episode 16, Richard Harris, Archery Abroad. But what is archery abroad? If you were just telling someone, they're like, had no idea, like most people don't right now because it's a fairly new thing. Yep, it's uh, absolutely brand new. Um, about a month ago, I can't take all the credit for the idea. The uh, a really good friend of mine and a very close, you know, personal friend. I mean, it's of course our bow technician usually becomes your good friend if you shoot a lot, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, if he's your good there friend, then go. yeah, take all the credit you want. Yeah, he's exactly. Not he's your good um, his name's Nate. Yeah, his name's Nathan Brown of, Ar- of K&N Archery in Palmyra, Virginia. Um, he actually posted a little private one on a post that he hasn't been able to put on yet. And when I saw it, uh, I started thinking about my own self. Um, you know, when you, you work all day, you have children. Unfortunately, well, it's a blessing, but all of my kids, all four of them are, are athletes. Unfortunately, had, I had these kids to damper my dreams. <laughs> well, what I mean is, unfortunately, every single one of my kids are athletes. Sure. So the weekends, I mean, we do travel sports um, for the last 10 years. I've uh, coached, I've done all this stuff, and there's very, very little private time. So what happened when I, when I saw his post, 
um, it clicked with me that there must be thousands upon thousands of people in the same boat that don't get to go shoot competitive that might like to try it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with today's technology, I'm sitting on my couch, and I had to call him, and I got his blessing. He's like, I don't have time to do anything like that. Go for it. So I spent about three and a half weeks just killing my brain, coming up with ideas, what are people's concerns going to be, all that good stuff. Finally, what I feel, I came up with a really good program. Um, Simply put, the very first tournament that we're shooting, um, the roster's complete, targets are in the mail. Um, The targets right now have to come from me. You guys can imagine we have to be careful. Not everybody is as ethical as we are. Um, so <laughs> the targets are completely marked. You have to shoot the same target for three weeks. Sure. Okay. So so they they got to protect that thing with their life and don't let the dog eat it. <laughs> so, so my dog would. <laughs> it's like the homework. So so you, right. they have to sign up on a roster is how I I was seeing it online. Right. So right. How many it's entering into the tournament? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nope. Nope. You're. So you enter the tournament. There, what, what are the classes? Let's let's start with that, and then we can. Okay. Yeah. Um. You got right now. We've got two classes because obviously this is a test. You know, the very first one. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I don't know what the participation was going to be. So I did a hunter class and an open class. One for dedicated, you know, Mac Daddy bows target shooters, mm-hmm. and one for you know anybody with any skill level. Hopefully, you know, jumps in and feels comfortable because they're shooting anywhere they want to. Okay. Um. You know, privately. So the only thing that's looking at you is your camera. The entire shoot is on video. Uh, the biggest rule of the entire event is the target is not allowed to leave the camera view. Okay. And during while you're shooting, you must be seen at full draw with the target in view. Okay. Gotcha. So there's so no, was, there can't was, be any funny business and editing or <laughs> ah, there's already too many uh too many rules i'm yeah, out or exactly. yeah. or well I, I mean it's a great concept like you're saying you know working class people don't always have time to travel to go to all these shoots compete all this but you always think about it like oh man i don't know it's basically you're you're in your own backyard or wherever you shoot but you're in a tournament at your convenience well, as long as you get it done within a certain time frame right exactly um it's Every time you shoot, it's Vegas three spot targets is what we're using the first one. Okay. Um, one arrow per spot, so you shoot three arrows. Walk to your target. There's lots of little ways I've come up with to make sure that we got the right yardage. Everybody's shooting the same distance. Uh, anybody that goes on the page will see there's explicit, very simple instructions. It's a very simple process. Episode seventeen, Melissa Borgman. Um, so in, in my, um, downstairs, I made it all into like kind of a big cedar room and I put all my whitetails down there. And what I actually did just recently is I got my three biggest bucks from Illinois, a 200, that 202, that 174, and then a 164. And I had them mounted all together on a pedestal. Oh, and then oh, I bring yeah. that with me to trade shows. Um, so I just brought that out, but yeah, I put all three of those together and it's a really, really cool piece, but I have it downstairs with. That whole room is pretty much just solid pull of mounts right now. Really? It's a little place to sit down. <laughs> Don't you get nervous about taking those deer to trade shows and stuff, like they're going to get banged up or whatever? Oh, believe me, they get really banged up. <laughs> um, that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, it's just the way it goes. In fact, this winter I was driving. I came back from a trade show. I had my trailer on, and I was actually taking it to my parents' house to park it there for a couple of months. And it was slippery out, 
And so a semi blew past me really fast, and it got my whole trailer kind of swaying back and forth. And my whole truck and trailer ended up going um, all the way sideways down the freeway. I hit the ditch, and it all tipped over. And I got out. The trailer tipped off my truck. I was by myself. I jump out, and I look, and I can see my red stag's antlers poked all the way through the roof of the trailer. And I thought, oh, no. And it split his head open, and couple of the other moms got a little bit destroyed but the hard part is that you know that's part of traveling and even when i go to these shows like i have an alligator i let all the little kids touch it hang on it take pictures with it because yeah. i believe you know that's kind of the reason to have it there the yeah. last thing i want to be doing is telling people oh don't touch it it doesn't matter go ahead take pictures feel the skin of it it you know it, it just makes it cooler for kids they like to be able to touch stuff and, yeah, and it makes yeah. it fun to bring along <laughs> well that and people that you... are fans of the show want to see that stuff too at the shows and everything like that so well and they've seen the episodes and it's just kind of cool to see it in person and see how big they really are and, mm-hmm. and people like they maybe haven't seen an alligator moment before you episode 18 taylor drawery drawery outdoors I don't know. I guess while you're doing the whole process, the interviews, anything like that, the, the actual the hunt, research, the research, anything like that, what all goes into it? Well, I I say, I mean, the research really comes from the hunt itself. You know, yeah. um, throughout the fall, I mean, every hunt, every single hunt, if if you know, if there's a harvest, if there's not a harvest, is produced to go in the show. You know, and not produced awesome. on. A, not not produced on a reality or school, but produced on what is really happening. You know, whether it's the weather, mother nature, whether it's the deer movement, what you know, what what type of camo we have to wear, the interaction between the cats. You know, every single hunt is produced because that's you know that's when you look back on the fall now when it's it, you know it's coming out in the summer. Look back on it when the editors start that. editing the shows. When the editor starts editing the shows and we're doing our individual interviews, you know, it's so important to look back and it's, you know, it's an awesome thing to be able to look back on every single hunt and know exactly what went down. And, you know, again, my, my dad and uncle Terry are just, you know, amazing when it comes to the knowledge of knowing white tailed deer. And again, they're still learning. I, I still have plenty to learn. Plenty, plenty. I feel like you can never stop learning as a hunter, but. When it eventually comes down to getting these shows together, you know, and putting together a show that is going to help hunters all around the world that are watching it, you know, it takes a lot of time to sit down, you know, and really think of the best way to kind of convey the message because we want the best going out so that someone can take that information and have the best hunt of their life. You know, it's not about us. It's not what, it's not what we're harvesting. You know, it's not, it's not what we're putting there about putting out there about us it's about the deer you know it's Mm -hmm. about the sport that we all want to succeed in you know and so many hunters around the world you know basically the majority of the population everyone has limited time to hunt so you know when it comes down to it when we sit there and produce it it's important to really send the most important information that will help all those hunters take their limited time and make it as successful as they can yeah because what i'm going to do this season actually I'm going to I'm going to lay out my season around 13 through the phases and I'm going to t- 
take all that information and utilize it to my actual hunting season. And it helps us, too, because we are from the Midwest, and that's what we hunt around here is whitetail. Yeah, it's our home range is where they're at, and it's all, right. it's all, it's all relative to where we're at and what we're doing and what we're hunting. So right. it couldn't right. be that's, more perfect. It's going to be that's it's so benefit awesome. us. That's so awesome. I mean, that is the exact outcome, you know, that we want, really. And we're going to do a better job of uh, this year, you know, this upcoming fall, 2015-2016 season, we're going to do a better job of, you know, not only kind of showing how the fall played out next summer on, you know, a different season, but kind of conveying that what's going on with the movement, the weather, and how it's affecting the deer movement on social media. So say people, you know, say someone has, they're off work, they have one week in the hunt, they can go to Jury's Facebook or Twitter Instagram know exactly what phase they're in, what tactics to use, and go mm-hmm. out there and use that and hopefully, you know, just have the best time of their life, all because we are able to help them and tell them what's going on. Episode 19, Bows, Cams, and Stands. Me and you talking about, you know, deer can adapt. So if you get, you know, that young buck that could just be a stud, right, and he's still trying to find, you know, his home range or whatever, yeah, and then he's walk by something flashes he's probably never going to come back to that spot again well yeah that's or, the thing you know, imagine you walking through the woods all of a sudden doosh, a flash mm. hits you in, in the face and you're like holy crap what was that yeah mm. you're gonna be a little weary about walking down even in well not me uh, i'd be like did you get my good side i don't know what i mean side, but did you get it i don't know that's just maybe i don't know i what don't think it? there's enough cameras made in my opinion for a fair price that have that black flash that don't have all the other garbage. For me, yeah. I don't need video. I don't need I never put all my cameras this, on video. See, I, did. I don't see, need all this garbage. I did, I did half video, half pictures, just like for a one minute video. Yeah. See that's I set mine up can't go ahead. I set mine up last year for it would take a picture video. Picture video. And I was noticing that the Deer would be fine on the pictures, but as soon as the video turned on, they were spooked by them. I wonder it if it makes a like hum or something. Well, it does, because that's why when I noticed that, I set it back up, turned on video, you know, walked away, went back to it, and it makes a really small humming noise. Mm-hmm. And, like, the does and stuff were fine, but I had this nice 10-point on camera and on the video, and you can tell he walks in. As soon as that video starts, he looks right at it. hear something. Mm-hmm. Well, he starts yeah. stomping his foot, you know, and all of a sudden... Here's why I don't go. The reason I'm I'm doing that is for the review, so we can at least see. You know. Yeah, that's a good right. point. I mean, yeah, if it if it spooks a deer or whatnot, I mean, it is what it is. But it might not. You know, we just we don't know until we. Yeah, they could have eliminated that problem in the last couple of years. Yeah. But here's my thing: the reason why I don't ever do video is because, all right, my luck. I turn it on video, and all I got a doe bedded down in front of it. Yeah, and then my battery's dead, or my card's full, and I got. It was out for maybe a day. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I have one yearling that's feeding <laughs> and just sits there. Yeah. I, I had a lot of deer bed down in front of my cameras. Yeah. I don't know. And it just fills up the card with pictures. Of right. That's like deer. with my second Moultrie. It had the screen on it so you could walk up and see what's on it. Right. You know? And that thing was eating batteries like crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if it's that screen thing or what. And then eventually it just quit working. It was a Moultrie. I <clears> love my first one. That's why I bought another one. And that one just well, quit the, working. The re- can, go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, you can eliminate the problem by 
set a car battery down there. And, <laughs> yeah, they won't it. notice that. Actually, <laughs> when I bought my wild game, it came in a pack with this big rechargeable battery. Oh, yeah. And you charge it up, and I tried to use it, and the thing would not, the big battery wouldn't hold the charge. Uh, some so, of them got solar panel you hang on the tree now. Yeah, that'd yeah, be cool. Yeah, hanging out in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, especially where, where my cam is, like, I... It, it's kind of weird. It's like the, there's this hill, but then there's this tree across the hill. I mean, it's the, you know about three feet. There's no sunlight that's going to hit down there. Uh, I mean, if it does, it's not going to. The the Reconics I got is called the low glow model. Its flash is a red light, mm-hmm. and I do see the deer look at the camera when it flashes. That's how my multi. But they red. seem to stay there. I I don't have a great hunting spot, so I don't have. A bunch of big bucks to really test it on to see if they stop coming by it. Yeah, as but the average the, person. Yeah, know. but the next model up um, is another hundred bucks. It's called the No Flash. I, I have a low glow, and then there's no glow. That's what it's called. I have to get on there and, and it, shop on some. Recon. It doesn't flash at all. It's six hundred and fifty bucks. Well, see, that's why I think like or wait, five fifty. Oh low. yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's yeah. totally affordable. Yeah, it's but out hey, hundred dollar budget range. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing, you know, if you want to get a lot of cameras, it's out. just like your bow. You want to spend whatever it takes mm-hmm. on your bow. You want to get great pictures of deer and not spooking because you got a great hunting spot and a great deer that's you're trying to kill. Very it's just true. all relative, really. Very true. That's like going back to the video thing, too, though. It's like with mine has a red flash also. Mm-hmm. When it takes a picture, it's just a quick flash. It's done. Uh, yeah. But when I they're got, taking like a, a video at night, that red light is on constantly. It stays on. It stays on. So I don't know if say that the was red spook- light, you know, they say red light won't scare a deer. They get, sell those little hat lights that go on the oh, belly. Yeah. Yeah. I got one that has the red option. And they say put it on option. green or put it on yeah, red. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if I'd necessarily believe that I think all lights – yeah, they'll look at them. You would think, but um, so I don't know. Let us know what you think. What cameras do you use? What are you looking at buying? What do you think are the budget cams? Hundred, you know, hundred fifty or under, roughly. Um, how many do you have? How many do you run? When do you put them out? You know, all all the all the questions. One one more thing before we get off that topic is how I picked the camera and eliminated it because there's so many. Mm -hmm. The one that I wanted is go to trailcampro.com. Ooh. They give you tons of reviews. That's probably the best website that I've ever found. It is Trail I didn't Cam even Pro. know about Trail Cams. Check it out. You'll get tons of reviews. They'll review, you know, guys around the country that are using them. Yeah. Tell well, you what the, you know. Tell wow, you I never important. heard of that. That's probably yeah, a really dang, helpful tool yeah. to get on there. Yeah. Yep. See, when you're old, you know that stuff. <laughs> yeah. He just gets to sit at home all day while we're working yeah, and right. yeah, Trail Cams. <laughs> What's he doing? He's making arts and crafts yeah. on an industrial scale. <laughs> Episode 20, Travis T. Bone Turner, Bone Collector. Question. Um, where did you get your start or your break, really, in, like, the outdoor industry? Well, um, it, um, and, that, and we do get asked that a lot, and it, it's, I don't mind answering it by, by all means. We're so appreciative. And, um, you know, it seems like each year, I mean, it, it's a continuing break. Um, you know, it's a, it's a climbing the ladder type process, basically, mm. but... Um, you know, to, to tell you a little bit about it, I, I used to work for Mercedes-Benz in Atlanta in the early 90s. And while I was working there, I mean, I had a, it was a good job. I was having to drive, an, you know, an hour, hour and a half to work each day. And, uh, you know, I was tired of the, the city and I was tired of the, um, you know, I didn't live in the city, but I worked in the city. But I was tired of the traffic, tri- tired of dealing with the city. And, and I thought, you know what, while I'm young and I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I was competing in archery tournaments in the weekends and that was my spare time. And hunting but 
you know, my nine to five job or my 40 or 50 hour a week job was working with Mercedes. So, you know, I said, well, you know, while I'm young, I still lived at home. I was in my real early twenties. And I said, uh, I don't have any responsibilities as far as a mortgage, a family, kids or anything like that. I said, I'm going to try just to make a living in the outdoor industry. So I quit my job and I went to work at a local pro shop and, um, I was already shooting as a pro staff for a lot of companies back then, early 90s. I was shooting for Browning, and oh, I'd won really? the world champion. Yeah, I was a Browning had archery company, believe it or not, guys. <laughs> I've seen a few and, Browning uh, bows. I have a bow fishing Browning. That's what I use. Yeah, <laughs> and I shot for them in the early 90s, and I was lucky enough to win the world championships in 1991. And then the next year is when I, I quit my job, and, uh, you know, I, I uh, went to work at this archery shop. I took a... About a ten thousand dollar a year pay cut, but man, life was so good. I I didn't dread going to work. I didn't have traffic issues. I just went to work and I told deer hunting stories and archery stories and worked on bows all day long. So, you know, granted I wasn't making as much money, but um, you know, my dad and a lot of my mentors had always told me, you know, if you do something in life that you're passionate about, you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. Mm-hmm. So, and things was good. So I, you know, doors would open for me. I would get uh, different pro staff. Uh, deals and then I would uh you know competing and I I was doing pretty good prize money wise shooting professionally you know going out and shooting the IBO in the ASA circuit and uh you know um after 2 years of working in the retail I kind of learned that side well all the good hunting in Georgia is about an hour and a half south of Atlanta mm-hmm. which is where I live now well me and a friend of mine opened up a shop down here so I quit working for a shop that I was working were working for just outside of Atlanta and I moved down uh, south of Atlanta, and I, I bought a mobile home, and I moved it onto my buddy's horse pasture, and I helped take care of his horses, and lived in a nineteen thousand dollars single wide trailer, and we had our <laughs> archer shop going. I mean, it was humble beginnings, believe me. I mean, bologna sandwiches and frozen pizzas. I'm, everybody can relate to that, but <laughs> yeah, we got the we got the uh, we got the the store rolling, and. Uh, about a year and a half after, you know, because I, I wasn't familiar to the area. As, I, I used to hunt down here, but I what, didn't live down here. So yeah. I met Michael, and I met David, and I met Bill, which because uh, I, I was within 40 miles of Realtree headquarters and became good friends with them. This was in about 95, 96. Mm-hmm. Started doing all of their bow work, and then all the people that they would take hunting, you know, whether it be baseball players, country singers, comedians, you know, Jeff Foxworthy, I used to do all their bow work for them. Yeah. When, we uh, came up with the character T-Bone. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. Or not, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the big old floppy hat and the Sweetie. flannel shirt and the old uh, whitetail hunter bow. And um, Anyway, I come up with that, that character that we played alongside with Foxworthy and Willie, and we didn't know how it was going to be received. We didn't know if it was going to be, uh, uh, you know, co- introducing comedy skits into a hunting video about every three or four hunts, and you throw a little comedy skit in there. We thought... Well, we'll try it. We don't know yeah. how it's going to be perceived, but God, it worked out real well. It, it went over really well, and the, you know, women didn't mind watching videos then, and kids really liked it, and guys playing it at their hunting camps. So we had uh, created a monster in T-Bone, so to speak. So uh, <laughs> we, we, we started doing it annually, and then David started asking me to go on hunts. You know, that was in the early 2000s, and Man, I started doing awesome. some hunts with them, and and uh, you know, again. Um, you know, just doors would open within the industry, and I was still had my business, and it would get up to 2006, and I was, you know, appearing on uh, Realtree Road Trips quite a lot, still good mm-hmm. friends with Nick, good friends with uh, Waddell, and 
and uh, you know Waddell come up with the Bone Collector Project and asked me and Nick to be a part of that. And I, at the same year, a guy approached me about buying my business. I'd had my, my archery shop and running for 12 years, and mm-hmm. I bought my partner out 10 years prior. So I was the sole owner, and I sold my business and went right into Bone Collector. And, I mean, just had been truly blessed, and all the doors opened, and every time I walked through, it was uh, it was like heaven on the other side so I've, I've been real blessed and we're just continuing the ride man that are cheetos the best tree t- tree stand snack you know they're not they're the best as far as tasting but um <laughs> but be you, you know cheetos the bag that come in it makes too much noise so <laughs> in order to fix that you take them out of the bag and put them in a ziploc bag okay You're but thinking. nonetheless they're, they're, yeah they're pretty they're pretty noisy so uh Cheetos or not, but it gives you something to look forward to when you get back to camp, that's for sure. Let's say, because then you get that cheese all over your fingers, and then you get it all over your bow, and then, yeah. well, then what do you do, you know? <laughs> then you got a mess you know, going uh, on. You know, you know Nick kind of started that whole Cheeto thing. Don't get me wrong, I like Cheetos, but I don't like them like, like the, you know, it's kind of taking on a life of its own. Like you put it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the reason when we do seminars and stuff, Nick says... You know, something uh, that you guys might not know about T-Bone is, you know, he has a toe fetish. And then everybody's all immediately goes, ooh, you know, thinking I like licking on toes and stuff. Well, <laughs> he says, yeah, T-Bone's got a toe fetish. He likes Doritos, Cheetos, Gardettos. <laughs> oh, so, hilarious. You know what's funny? Last well, last time I was at ATA was in uh, Nashville, and we were all talking to you guys. And Nick's funny, and he kept macking on my girlfriend. He kept. Oh, did he? Yeah, he kept rubbing up on her, giving her hugs. So I was like, ah, whatever. <laughs> he, he deserves it. <laughs> but every every time we we'd you know we'd split up from you guys and we'd do a lap and then we'd see him, I could Nick would like wink at her and I'm like, God dang it, I can't compete with this. <laughs> he's got him a girlfriend now. He's he's got him a steady up in Minnesota. Hey, thanks for listening. I'll have a link for each episode in the description of this episode of the podcast. So if there's one that you feel like for some reason you really want to listen to the entire thing, don't know why you really want to, but you could. And uh, that's about it. Go shoot your bell. Thanks. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.